My darling girl, when are you going to understand that being normal is not necessarily a virtue? I'd rather denote a lack of courage. You've just entered the cool friend hour. Hey everybody! Do you like midnight margaritas and getting caught in the rain? Do you throw spilled salt over your shoulder and plant rosemary by your garden gate? Well then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Ghoul Friend Hour. I'm your host Morgan Feza. Let's get weird. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Ghoul Friend Hour. Today, I have a fabulous guest. I have Bishop James Long here to talk to you guys a little bit about demonology, exorcisms, and traditional Catholicism, but in a different light. Right, Bishop Long? Well, old old Catholicism. Old Catholicism. So um, I'm going to pass the torch to you. I'm going to let you introduce yourself um, and give the listeners a little... um, just a little pre-chapter of how you started everything, so. Yes, well, I knew I wanted to be a priest when I was five. Uh, okay. I, had, I had no doubt about it, none. Uh, we were at kindergarten, the teacher asked what we wanted to do, and I told her, then we, I was at church, and my mom says, uh, well, what, what did you tell your teacher? And I pointed to the priest, and said, I want to do what he does. And, uh, I, I knew from a very early, I mean, there was no question about it. So, you know, I went to private school, a private Catholic school, and, uh, you know, was taught by the nuns, which I'm very grateful for there. They were some tough, they were some tough chicks, but they were, uh, they were good. Uh, they are pretty amazing people. And, but my desire, my love, uh, for, for ministry continued or, or even my desire to be a priest. I began studying books on, and on demons when I was nine and I okay. didn't really know why. I mean, my friends were out there playing GI Joes or doing whatever that I was reading in the library reading books on angels and demons. It was just something that couldn't stop. I, I, I was obsessed with it. Uh, and most of the time, I didn't understand what, what I was reading, but I knew I couldn't stop reading it. And so uh, it continued. I lived life a little bit. I graduated from high school. I decided that I wanted before I, I thought about going into the seminary then, but I thought, you know what? I need to learn how to, uh, I need to learn what it's like to worry about budgeting and paying bills and being, I need to learn that before I jump right into the seminary. Then so that, and I, and that was a smart decision. So I, I lived life a bit, worked for several places, um, worked for Continental Airlines, which was great. Loved that. I flew all over the United States for 20 bucks on, you know, round <laughs> trip, first class. It was great. That's uh, but, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was cool. I'm telling you, it was wonderful. I, I, I remember we're going to New York City. I just like, I'm going to go to New York. Why? Let's, let's go to New York. So I flew from Louisville to New York, first class, $20. Oh and then God. I thought, you know what? I, I've been here for three days. I'm kind of bored. I mean, it's like, okay, I've seen everything. I want to go to Las Vegas. So I got on the plane on a 757 from direct flight from New York City to Las Vegas, $20, first class. It was just like, oh this gosh. is crazy. So, uh, but I, I loved it. But I, I just, I kept the desire to learn and to go to the seminary. Just, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I just couldn't. So I said, that that's enough. So then I went into the seminary, I studied with uh, the Benedictines uh, and the okay. Jesuits. Uh, I, so I went to Loyola University uh, in uh, Chicago, graduated there, uh, and then continued on to graduate school. And so I finished, I completed six years of, of uh, Roman Catholic seminary. 
And, uh, but I really decided, I received my minor orders there, but I decided that I wanted to join the old Catholics because with the old Catholics, um, there's just simply no discrimination, not to imply Roman Catholics, there's discrimination. We just, we're inclusive. We allow yeah. women, we allow women to be ordained. <clears throat> Our priests can be married. Uh, and um, I just wanted to minister to everyone, regardless of their faith. That was very important to me. So that's why I joined the old Catholics. And as of today, I performed 30 exorcisms. I was validly trained in the right. Uh, and I performed 30 exorcisms on people who are validly possessed and thousands of home blessings. And I've been in the paranormal field now for 35 years. Wow. And so when I got involved in the paranormal community over, over 20 years ago, there was no Catholic clergy helping the paranormal community. There was no one. It was yeah. me and it was me and Father Andrew Calder. That was it. And I didn't want to go public with my ministry. Uh, but people kept saying, you know, we really need help. We need. So I went public. And that's when Ghost Adventures in History and National Geographic and all these people called. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And honestly, so one of the things um, I was kind of first introduced to you when I was watching TikTok um, and I fell in love with your lives. Like they were just so um, engaging and <clears throat> kind of um, I, I wanted to interject before, because when you started talking about how you've introduced um, <clears throat> this theory of inclusivity, especially in the Catholic faith. Um, one of the things that I had the hardest time with, with Catholic faith was that I grew up in a very inclusive house. Um, <clears throat> you know, there was, I was taught, you know, you never discriminate, you love everybody. Like that's God's word is to just love and accept people for who they are, yeah. preach the word of God and just, you know, do the right thing. Um, yeah. and so when I saw that you, were approaching things differently and the way that you were handling, you know, um, just being graceful and merciful and accepting everybody as they were. I just thought that that was really special and kind of turned the page for me as far as, okay, like maybe I'll start kind of looking at Catholicism again, old school, old, um, I'm sorry if I say it wrong, um, but old uh, Catholicism. So well, let me explain, because it's, it's, it's important. I'm glad you mentioned this because there's a difference between old Catholic and Roman Catholic. So Roman Catholics, uh, uh, they fall under the papacy. So they mm -hmm. believe in the papacy. They believe that that Pope is infallible on certain doctrine. We do not. Uh, the old Catholics, uh, it's different uh, in that uh, we allow, like I said, we allow women to be ordained. Our priests can be married, but we don't have a Pope. We acknowledge okay. that, the, that the Pope of Rome is the Bishop of Rome. We acknowledge this. Uh, but uh, in each jurisdiction within the old Catholic Church is different. Uh, because you might have some jurisdiction. So in, in other words, each bishop has their own jurisdiction, their own area. So you might have some bishops, some old Catholic churches that are ultra conservative. I mean, okay. really ultra to where they only believe Latin right, women should wear head covering. I mean, and then you have, you might have some old Catholics that are ultra liberal, okay. that any, anything and everything goes. So within the old Catholic church, it's very different than the Roman. Roman Catholics are very structured. This is the catechism. This is what we believe. This is what you're to teach. This is the doctrine. With the old Catholic church, it really just depends on the jurisdiction that you're in. Okay. And I'm so glad that you explained that. Um, <clears throat> one of my biggest things, and I've said this on previous podcast episode, my reason for starting this podcast was I was very eager to learn how, you know, religion ties into the supernatural, learning about the supernatural, um, getting different perspectives, learning about different cultures and what different, mm. you know, just different people believe and getting different perspectives. Because I think like, 
obviously knowledge is power, knowing the difference between these religions and how things work and operate truly helps, you know, not just myself, but my listeners make educated decisions, you know, and not because I feel like a lot of people, um, they do kind of grow up into their faith. So it's kind of like whatever you were raised in, a lot of people tend to just kind of stay on that path. And, you know, I had a podcast episode with uh, Chris McKinnell and Lorraine uh, Warren's grandson. And one of the most profound things that I kind of learned from him was the fact that he tried multiple, multiple different religions. He just kind of jumped head first into different things and said, okay, this isn't for me. Let me learn about this. Okay. This isn't for me. And I just wanted to kind of give that insight to my listeners as well, because growing up Protestant, I honestly have loved being Protestant. I've loved, and I know um, Methodist is pretty much the same. Mm. So, I mean, I've loved that way of learning and I felt like that was pretty open, inclusive, and it just kind of teaches you to take God in your heart. And as long as you have that relationship with him, you know, that's the most important part. That's the foundation. Um, So, you know, I just, I thought that was very interesting to kind of learn the differences between, I just thought Catholicism was just one simple, you know, umbrella. Um, And my husband is Catholic. And like I said, I'm Protestant. So we've kind of had this um, battle of, you know, how do we baptize our daughter and how do we, you know, so it, yeah. So it's interesting to learn not to, not to digress, but mm, um, so tell me a little bit more about like the demonology route, because I think that that's very interesting that this was something you started at such a young age. And I kind of just want to know what were you so at, like, what caught your attention and just completely enamored you with this? And, you know, what was your first experience with that? Like, um, maybe a first case or yeah. something of that sort. As far as the demonology, like at nine years old, as I mentioned, I, I studied and and I continued to study when I went to the seminary. I mean, there was a wealth, I mean, a plethora of information and books. And I've always been kind of a, a book, uh, I got a book nerd kind of a guy. Uh, I've always been the type of person that likes to read and analyze and dissect. That's very, very important for me to that. Education is education was very incredibly important in my family. Uh, that was one thing going to not going to school was not an option it was it was that wasn't that was blasphemy <laughs> i don't want to call it college yeah sure sure i'm sure you don't <laughs> um and you also don't want to go to heaven either do you obviously <laughs> so that was it's kind of like that was not negotiable uh, and, and primarily because my, my mom god love her she she's resting in heaven but she worked her way all the way from a cna to into cardiology Wow. And uh, so she was cleaning, you know, cleaning people up and cleaning messes from as a certified nursing assistant all the way to, I mean, so for her, uh, it was no excuse. Mm-hmm. You, you get, you do it, you get, you get, you get your education, you learn. If this is what you're passionate about, then you learn and you learn and you learn and you never stop learning. So for me, uh, I, I have that extreme uh, passion for learning as much as I can, not only just from the uh, Christian perspective, but also from different perspectives of other faiths. So mm-hmm. I have friends from, I have clergy friends from all walks of life. I have shaman friends and Jewish and agnostic and Muslim. So I have friends that are all walks. And it's very important that I learn their perspective as well, not just mine. Yeah. Uh, and so, especially when you're dealing with in this field. And so, because again, that's just more information. It's more knowledge. It's more tools in the toolbox, so to speak. So uh, but for me, it's it just the passion. Uh, if you take away demonology 
from me, then you're taking away my identity. Yeah. Because I can't, I can't identify with no longer doing this ministry. That would be as if I, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be completely lost. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's a calling. And that's very important to understand. This is not something that I chose. Mm-hmm. I never chose this life. I accepted this calling, but I never chose it ever. And, uh, but I grew up also, you know, our, our home was quite haunted. Uh, okay. Very, very active. I actually, I was friends with Lorraine and okay. our home was very haunted. And I guess that's when the first experience that I had uh, a nightmare kind of sleep paralysis episode, uh, perhaps maybe that was, I don't know that the, the thing that caused me to say, put it in overdrive as far as learning, I don't know, but uh, that was, that was, I think that was my first uh, paranormal experience, if you will. But see, I separate demonology, and I've said this for over 20 years. Demonology is not paranormal. Yeah. Demonology has nothing to do with the paranormal. Demonology is theological. And if okay. a, a person doesn't understand that, they have no business being in this field because you cannot separate theology from demonology. It's impossible. It's, it, it's just simply not, it's not possible. Uh, so I, I, as far as the paranormal activity, I say probably um, when, uh, when I was a young kid, I, I, when mm-hmm. I had a pretty, pretty frightening dream. Okay. Um, and so I guess like, I also kind of want to pick your brain because one thing I have kind of noticed is I've had, um, I've had a couple of uh, demonology experts some demonologists on the podcast. And I feel like there's many different perspectives as well as also just being a podcast listener. Um there's so many different interviews about what de- like perspectives on what demons actually are. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to get your perspective. Like, what do you consider to be a demon and are they good? Are they bad? Because there's some people that have this, um, this idea or this theory in their head that there's evil supernatural entities but then you have demons who are not necessarily great but they're not bad they're just these very like wise centuries old creatures and I just to me I kind of wasn't buying that so I just like to get different perspectives because I truly just think that I guess in my world I've always been good and evil and I feel like once you see and you feel evil you know that they're you know what that is. And it's, it's a very like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I have experienced uh, a demonic entity and that was very, um, there was nothing good about it. And I just think that there's this line that people are kind of teetering and this debate that's going on on what it actually is. So, you know, if you want to just dive into that and maybe bring your perspective to that kind of discussion, well, anybody who, te- anybody who teaches you or tells you that demons are good, they obviously have uh, re- received their education on demonology through YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I would simply stay away from those individuals. They are not informed. It, it, actually, they are misinforming people. It is very dangerous what they're doing. And then what, they, what these people end up doing is causing issues that I have to clean up their mess afterwards or other exorcists who are trained. Because what they do is based on the ridiculous notion of the lesser key of Solomon. And the whole idea that you can summon demons for the sole purpose of your bidding is absolutely preposterous. It is stupid. It is idiotic. It is irresponsible. And anybody who tells you that demons are good clearly have received their education in a crackerjack box. So that is as blunt as I can possibly get. Stay away from anybody who tells you, I don't care who they are. If anyone tells you that demons are good, you just say, you know what? 
okay, I, I think I'll walk away now because there's nothing yeah. else that you need to say to me because you're a false prophet. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing good. Nothing. But demons have committed the ultimate blasphemy. They were in the very presence of God and freely rejected God and hate. There's nothing good about demons. Revelation is very clear what's going to happen to demons at the end. Very clear. So yeah. the, anybody who tells you that has no theological training whatsoever. None. Yeah. And see, and I, here's, here, I'll tell you this. Uh, I'm on the new show. Uh, Eli Roth presents Legion of Exorcist. Uh, oh, I just... I just started that. That's amazing. Okay. Yep. So I, I, so I'm, I, I'm on, I'm a cast member there. And that one thing that's it's on the travel channel and max, one thing that's great about that show is that it's diverse. So you have a, a group of people, uh, exorcists who, and, and even a demonologist who uh, we talk about our experience, not one, not one of us who have had thousands. I mean, I mean, so many cases and emails and years of experience, not one is going to tell you that demons are good and yeah. they are trained. The, the people that that's in that class, in that, uh, in that group, in that cast are trained people. So, yeah. uh, but yeah, that's a, that comes on Thursday nights. Well, they're almost finished. I think, um, or they might've finished. I, I'm not for sure if they have any more episodes. There's six episodes. Uh, okay. we'll see about season two. We, we haven't heard yet. Just depends on the rating, but look, here's the deal. Uh, some people argue that demons are, are the spirits of deceased evil people. It's incorrect. Uh, that actually was the uh, view of, Phi, of uh, uh, Philo and Josephus, some early Christian writers. Luke's make, Luke chapter 16, verse 23 makes that very clear. That's not, that's not the case. There's a theory of the pre-Adam race, that that's what they were. Again, the, uh, based on the gap theory. This is all the theology. That's incorrect. Then there's a... a here's the brilliant thing, that they're the offspring of angels and women, that the, the Nephilim. People need to stop teaching this. Um, the Nephilim were not the offspring of, of demons and women. That is so idiotic. And if you want, I'll be happy to explain that from a theological perspective, because you see this all the time. Yeah. It is stupid. It is clearly stupid. Do not believe that the Nephilim were the offspring of demon, demons. and The scripture says that they weren't. Yeah. So really, honestly, they were, they're fallen but unconfined angels. Uh, and that, and we see this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. We also see this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, and Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Look, that's what they are. They are fallen but unconfined angels. They rebelled against God. Their purpose is to destroy the living temple of the Holy Spirit, which you and I are. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and this is kind of, um, I feel like we live in an era right now where this is just my opinion. God has very much been pulled from our everyday lives and has kind of been diminished. Yeah. Um, and I remember saying to my husband not too long ago, um, the more that I felt like, you know, I try, I don't watch the news. I am not a news watcher. I feel like it's just constant negativity. Um, and I always try and put my day in God's hands and say, okay, like if it's your will, let it be done. And, you know, but I feel like wherever I look, there's just something horrible going on. And I, I said to him, I said, I just think that in my own opinion, it's not coincidence that there has been lost faith. There has been all these things happen. Um, and we live in this day and age where so-and-so 
some people argue the term, but millennials, we have a habit of watching, you know, we have a habit of listening to podcasts, watching YouTube and people taking those things and being like, this is a hundred percent true. So my biggest fear was when I was listening to these podcasts, um, with these individuals talking about how, you know, they would be doing blood sacrifices and very um, occultish and sacrificial rituals. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, these people I don't think have ever felt true evil up close because similar to you, I had a dream that I have talked about very often on this podcast because it affected me very deeply. And I truly think that something visited me in my dream that was pure evil. Um, and it very distinctly could not get a hold on me. And I remember in my dream, closing my eyes and just praying to God, I'm like, just help me get the strength to pull myself away from this. And this thing, whatever it was told me, like, I'm coming back for you. And like, this is not the last you're going to see of me. It was very certain that it was going to get me. And I was like, you're not. And so when you feel that just all I can describe it as is pure evil, just bad, disgusting, vile, just, it almost felt like it just sticks to you. And when you wake up, you can't shake that feeling. And so when you feel that, I don't, I don't think anybody in their right mind could say that demons are good, I guess it's in my own opinion. So that's why it just makes me worry because you have these people on podcasts preaching that they're these things that they're not. And you're having these young minds who are very malleable and vulnerable that fall into that trap. And especially if they don't have faith and religion on their side, that's where I feel like we see a lot of these problems. Um, And that kind of segues me into my next question for you. You know, you said you've, you've done over, you said 35 exorcisms, 30, 30, 30. Um, So have you seen a rise recently? Have you had to clean up more messes than usual? Have you seen more activity than you have in past years? Cleaning up more mess? Absolutely. Uh, That's becoming an epidemic, um, a major problem. And uh, that's frustrating for me because I already have enough cases. I have 9,000 emails and 14,000 messages on TikTok. Wow. Uh, And and I do this free. I, I don't charge. Never have, never will. And uh, so I performed 30 documented exorcisms on people who are validly possessed. And when I say that, these uh, we go through psychological evaluation, medical evaluation. So it's very intense, the background, to, to verify the person is validly possessed. So it's rare. And that's over 20 years, two decades. And I get thousands of emails from people thinking they're possessed. So possession does exist, but it is rare. But I have had a major problem with people claiming to be psychic mediums and then telling people that they have demons attached to them and raking them for everything that they have. And the person is uh, really into psychosis, has a mental disorder. And then they contact me and they're really terrified. They're in a psychotic episode. They're, they're so, and I tell them, you look, you have, you don't have a demonic attachment. There's nothing yeah. there. And they get frustrated because the person uh, who, who was a fraud who fed into their psychosis. Now that individual, now the sick, the mentally ill person is just simply not going to believe anything else. Now, I believe that there are people who are gifted, who are psychic. I, I have friends that are psychic. I mean, a very gifted. Chip Coffee is a world-renowned psychic. He's a friend of mine. I uh, love I, Chip. I, he's a very good friend of mine and he's an unbelievably gifted. So yeah, there are people who are gifted, but those people who are gifted don't go around taking advantage of people. And yeah. But this is happening a lot. And in the paranormal community, uh, a big problem 
a huge issue is when I first started, there was just a few people calling themselves demonologists. Now on every team, they think they have a demonologist. Not only that, but they also have a psychic a person who's a psychic medium who thinks now all of a sudden they're an expert in the field, even though they've never really studied any books. Certainly they never studied Summa Theological or Thomas Aquinas or any of the great, you know, the great works uh, of yeah. the, 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 some of the smartest theologians in the world in history. No, 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 no. They're not going to pick those books. They're going to just look up their hands. Oh, you have a demon. Shut up. You know, just, you, you, I get so frustrated with that because yeah. everything is demon. And just like I said on the show, just like I showed on, on the Legion of Exorcist show, and this is the God's honest truth. Our society has placed demons here and God way down here. And, and, and then I tell somebody, say, so they, they tell me, oh, it's demons, demons, demons way up. Here. And they're, they're just so amplified and so stressed. And, and, and I tell them, I said, well, have you prayed? Yeah, but yeah, yeah but and I said, now see, that's the problem. Why are you elevating demons to a status of God and you're decreasing God's status as the creature? Mm-hmm. So it's like, don't you understand the moment that you pray is the moment that demo, the, the demons tremble. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, we've elevated demons so high on a status and, and we've, we've lowered God's status to that of, of a created being. Yeah. And um, that's, that is a big issue. But honestly, you know, I feel like, and again, this is just my opinion. It means the world to me to have somebody on the podcast that when I'm having a conversation with you, you are getting passionate and you are very validly frustrated because, you know, you're the one that has to get the bucket and the mop and clean the mess up. See, and- that's not the, 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 that's not the, that's not why, why I'm animated. I'm not because I have to clean the mess up. I'm animated because I don't like people who take advantage of others. Yes, yes, that, that is that, well. That really irritates me, especially, especially when you have people who are feeding into someone's psychosis who are mentally ill and then convincing them that they have a demon attached to that person. They can, that can do irrevocable. Do you understand yeah. that if a person who has disassociative identity disorder, if you tell that individual that they have a demon attached to them when they don't, they can create another personality. They can create a completely yeah. different identity. Yeah. And so I think it is so irresponsible and people who do that, I think should be charged with neglect. Absolutely. They don't do, they do, do, do no background check. They do no psychological evaluation. They could feed into someone's psychosis that could put them in a manic state. So yeah. I have seen that over and over and over. And that mm-hmm. is what I, I don't like that. You don't do that to people. You just simply yeah. don't do that to people. Yeah. And that's, you know, um, that's kind of like where I was going with that is the fact mm. that you have to, you know, these people who are taking advantage and honestly, I mean, there has been recorded accounts of people who have had mental illnesses that mm. have been, that have either um, trigger warning to listeners. I am going to mention suicide, but have committed suicide or have severely harmed themselves to the point where they have long-term damage. Yep. And I just, you know, it is terrible. It's very terrible. So I like when I get to meet people like you that bring the knowledge and they bring the education and you're doing, you're not doing it for a penny. You're just out there trying to genuinely help people it's a breath of fresh air because if we had more people like that in this world, I would hope that the world would be a little bit better than it is right now. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you know. it. We don't, we, and as clergy, we don't get paid. Yeah. So there, there is no stipend there. We have no, in the old Catholic church, we have no stipend. We have no retirement. We have no paycheck. So I do literally pay this ministry out of my own pocket. So I have a wow. job. I, I teach online that I, I supplement the income. So when I have to go to someone's home, I pay for it out of my own pocket. 
Wow. I, I don't, I don't ask for a penny, not a penny from them. And I've done that now for over 20 years. So th- I think that's the, that's the thing is you're when you, when you feed into someone's uh, mental illness, we have a licensed mental health therapist on our team. Oh, wow. And so okay. we, we require, we absolutely, if they, if someone tells me that they're possessed, I don't even have a conversation with them. And the conversation stops because I don't, I'm not trained in psychology. I'm not a psychiatrist. So I don't want to even accidentally feed into that person's psychosis. So I don't, I stop the conversation right there. So once they say, I'm, I'm, I think I'm possessed, the conversation ends. And then I say, okay, this is what you have to do next. You have to speak to our mental health therapist because then they will do an evaluation that they're licensed by the state of Florida to offer the psychological evaluations. And that person tells me, Bishop, this person has some issues. You need to kind of, you know, be careful about this. And that's, that's what we, but that's what we should be doing. Yeah. But that's not what is, that's not what's being done. Now in the process. So you have stated, you know, obviously they reach out to you if they start Mm -hmm. to kind of go the route of, Hey, I'm possessed. You know, they have to see a mental health clinician. Um, now as far as if somebody comes back clean from the mental health clinician, you know, how does that proceed forward? What, you know, give us kind of an, in, um, an inside look to what an exorcism process is, I'm sorry, process is like, but also the day of the exorcism, you know, um, I feel like cinema and big Hollywood has this terrible, terrible trend of really like glamorizing and, um, ostracizing what an exorcism really looks like. So I want to give our listeners a true authentic view of what it's like to be an exorcist. Well, uh, of course, once we do the psychological evaluation, there's nothing there. And then, um, uh, and then we also have a, a medical evaluation. So the licensed mental therapist will, will, will let us know if there's any type of medication that might cause hallucinations as well. Uh, so okay. that's very important to know. So once everything is done, uh, then what we do is, and there's a clean bill of health, we send a team out to, to investigate, to determine uh, if we're dealing with the demonic attachment, if we're dealing with uh, possession, if we're dealing with, are we, is it perfect possession? Is it transient possession? Or are we dealing with a uh, demonic infestation? What that's when we start getting into okay, now what are we dealing with? So now that we've resolved the mental health issue, let's now focus on what is it. So the team will go in. Their goal is to debunk. That's okay. what they do. So the teams that I work with have been in the field for a long time. They're a the diverse group of people, of professionals. They don't think everything is a demon. As a matter of fact, everything they try to do is debunk. Uh, and so, but when it comes to when we start collecting evidence, it's like, okay, there's something here. There is definitely something going on. Then they contact me and say, okay, you're going to have to get involved because this is what, and then they show me the evidence. I look over it and I make the decision. Uh, if the decision is uh, performed to perform an exorcism, well, first of all, uh, I had the opportunity to speak to F- Father Gary Thomas. Uh, Father Gary Thomas, uh, he is the priest uh, that the movie The Right is based off of. That's a wonderful movie. It is. It is. And and one thing that he said that absolutely was 100% is he said, when people tell me that they want an exorcism, he tells them, I don't do them on command. Yeah. And that is what I tell people. They, they command sometimes. I need an exorcism. I don't do them on command. And so but once the evidence is gathered and it's very clear that we're dealing with, let's say, possession, what I do is I go in uh, and I get involved and I will purposely do things. Many times a person is not under the stage of possession. Transient possession is when the demonic enters the body and leaves at will. So there are, there, are, there are things that I will do to force the entity to manifest itself. If there is no manifestation, there is no exorcism. I, I don't proceed. I'll do a blessing. I'll do a minor rite of exorcism uh, within the home, but that's it. The mind, so 
I think we have to explain. The solemn rite is a very sacred rite that is performed on an individual that is possessed. Okay. The minor rite of exorcism is a blessing that you perform on a home. There's no such thing as performing an exorcism on the home. That doesn't exist. That's absurd. You don't perform an exorcism on the home. You bless the home. You perform the exorcism on the demonic entity or malevolent spirit that has infested itself within the home. So okay. I bless the home and I perform the minor rite of exorcism. Uh, if the person does not go into transient possession, I do not perform an exorcism. If they do, because that's we're provoking through prayer uh, and other things that I'm doing, then the rite begins, which I, I'm not, I don't tell people what we do, because then if I do, and I've learned this many years ago, uh, about 15 years ago, I did a, a show where I walked people through the process of what, what, what we do. Well, then people were going around saying that Bishop Long trained people on how to perform exorcisms because they, they listened to the podcast or to the show. And I said, no more. I, I'm not going to ever do that again. So I kind of learned. Yeah. OK, that makes sense, though. That makes yeah. total sense because I didn't even think about that. Um, now, what does an actual exorcism look like? Like, so when you are performing that, I mean, typically what are characteristics that will manifest in somebody who is possessed or if you have a home that is infested and you yeah. are doing that, you know, what, what are the symptoms and the. That can be violent. Um, so the very, the matter of fact, the show, uh, the, the show that I'm on the Eli Roth presents Legion of Exorcist show, the, the very first case, uh, I believe it was the first case or second case. Uh, it was the, the girl or it might have been the second, I don't know, I can't remember which show, which episode it was on, uh, but she, her eyes went solid black. And uh, that actually, I was not, I was not the primary, I was a secondary. What I mean by that, I was not the primary exorcist, I was the assistant, the secondary. And um, that I had learned and studied all my life, never to look in the demonic eyes, never to engage in the demonic, because it will always lie and try to intimidate. But when I, there's a, there's a time during the rite where you lift the eyelids, and I did, and I've always studied that, you know, the eyes go, go black and, but, but when you're there, so when we went into the home and this is the case that's on the show, we went into the home, the whole atmosphere changed the, as far as the room, everything changed. It was heavy. I mean, it was even hard to breathe. Sometimes it was extremely intense and you could feel it. I mean, it was, there was no if, ands or buts about it. As soon as we were walking up to the house, we felt oppressed and it was okay. intense. But when we went into her room, the whole thing changed. Everything changed. It was, um, and we began the, the litany, the, it's called the litany of the saints. And uh, during the rite, I lift the eyelids uh, to see where we are in the transient possession, and the eyes were solid black. Now, reading about it is one thing. But when, when I lifted the eyelids and there was solid black, it, it was a blackness, but it was also a shininess to it. So I could see my reflection. It truly was like I was looking in a black mirror. Okay. So I could see my reflection and I couldn't think. I couldn't. I was catatonic. Wow. I, I was completely catatonic. I could not move. It was very much like sleep paralysis. I couldn't move. I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't say help. Yeah. I, I wow. felt that was the only, that was one time in my life. I truly felt a hundred percent like prey. And wow. I was looking, I was looking in the eyes of an apex predator. Uh, and and I knew that I was in trouble. I was in deep trouble. Uh, and that was intense. That was very, very, I, that, I'll never, uh, there are no words to describe that. But uh, during the rite, during the exorcism, she, her, you know, she was laying down like this, her head were here and her feet were here. And 
it was like someone had t- tied a rope to her torso. It was like here, and she just went just like this. Oh my gosh! And I mean, I heard the vertebrae crack, and I actually thought she broke her back. And I just, she just kept going up, 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 and I hear the crack in, in, in the vertebrae, just like a V shape. And wow! There was no emotion. There was nothing. There was, there was no uh, like uh, pain. There was. It was just a, 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 an empty, um, blank stare. And wow. Yeah, it was, and and then she mimicked uh, my aunt, my aunt who had passed away while I was in the seminary. She mimicked her voice. Oh and that my gosh. was um, now that she also there's a term uh, called throwing. You throw the voice. You're throwing the voice. So in other words, it sounds like um, if you ever go on YouTube and you do an eight eight D uh, headphone um, kind of a thing headphone, uh, that's what it sounds like. So they'll scream in multiple pitches, but it sounds like it's it, it it's the voice is being thrown. So it'll sound like it's here and back here and in front and, and around. And that's just the, obviously the cause um, discomfort uh, to, to throw you off to stop the right. But the, the right is very, there's no conversation in the right. Doesn't exist. There's no conversation. Okay. Uh, we ask two things in the right. We co- actually, we command two things in the right. It's name and the hour of departure. That is it. I don't want any, I don't care anything else that it has to say. I don't care. Uh, I don't have, I don't have a conversation with it. The conversations don't exist. Yeah, the name and the hour of departure. And that's it. And then we just it's, it's a continual prayer. It's a continue over and you're breaking down the intellect and will of the demon. That's the point uh, until eventually a person is freed from the demonic. Wow, that just gave me chills like down my spine because I can't imagine first off, you know, starting with the eyes, seeing that firsthand mm-hmm. that. I mean, to be in your position and I'm assuming you had never kind of had this moment before. And then, yeah, to be staring into something like that and then be paralyzed. Like I, you know, I feel like any human being would kind of be just struck in fear. Like, what do I do next? I'm so helpless. And, um, then to have like, your deceased aunt, you know, mimicked. Mm-hmm. And, and I have heard that, uh, the demonic will very much play a lot of parlor tricks and it's a sure. lot of, you know, just like you're in a sense, you know, waterboarding the demon with prayer, they're trying to then, you know, it's, it's a game of wills. Um, so how do you, like, how do you prepare for this and how do you keep your will so strong to outwill the demon? Well, yeah. I, I, so I, it's a two week preparation. Uh, and, okay. uh, but that's, that's all I'll, I'll talk about that, but it's a, okay. it's a, it's a process to where, Oh, see when you're, when you have possession, you have um, the intellect and will of the person is being attacked. So what happens, let's say the person goes out and, and, and investigates, is there anything here? Can you do something? I dare you to push me, whatever it might be. That's a form of imitation. Now you have a demonic attachment. So you go home and all because it's attached, you now have infestation issues. What it's doing at this time also is uh, it's attacking your intellect and will. Now that's called demonic oppression and demonic obsession. Demonic oppression is when it begins to attack you on a physical level. And that also goes along with sleep paralysis episodes, but not all sleep paralysis are demonic. So that's important to note, but it's also interacting with you on an intellectual level. You can hear it. It, it, it mimics schizophrenia and it's breaking the intellect and will of the person down to the point where the person can no longer fight. They have no will to fight anymore. And once that occurs, we're, we're, we're past sleep deprivation. We're, we're to a point where the body is, auto, is, is autoimmune compromised. It, 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 I mean, it's really in trouble. 
and they're very uh, incredibly weak in state. They've isolated themselves from the family. And once that occurs, then the demonic can enter the body and just leave it will. And, but it's under constant attack. The body's under constant attack. So the demon can keep entering and leave. Okay. And so that's what we, when you have perfect possession, where that's very dangerous, both of them are dangerous, but when you have perfect, the, the body does not have relief of the demonic. So it's a constant state uh, of possession. So the probability of the person expiring through a heart attack or stroke uh, is quite high uh, okay. because there is no release. Uh, Annalise McKell, uh, her name is Annalise McKell. Uh, it is Emily oh. Rose. Uh, for so the, terrible. Based on a true story. Uh, she actually suffered from transient possession. She was not in perfect possession. It was transient possession. But she was under constantly under the stage of attack. I have the entire case file of Annalise McKell. And when you read it and you read the transcripts of what was said, there was a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes uh, that the clergy made. And one of the biggest mistakes is interacting uh, with the demonic and having a conversation that should have never happened. And not only that, but when she was 68 pounds prior to that, she was emaciated, but she, they should have never allowed her to get to 68 pounds. They should have stopped it immediately and said, that's it. We're done. Mm -hmm. We're finished with this. She's got to get medical attention, right? She died. Her technical death is malnutrition dehydration. So th there's no reason because her family refused medical treatment though, because they, uh -huh. they absolutely believe that, no, let's go for the, let's go. We believe in the right of the church, but you have a responsibility to make sure that when you see the person dying in front of you at, at a very unhealthy yeah. weight, you got to stop it. And you got to say, we, yeah. gotta, we have, we have to, that's why when I perform an exorcism, I have someone who's medically trained okay. uh, who's there, who's monitoring the vitals of the possessed. Cause I'm not trained medically. So I don't know if someone's having a stroke or heart attack. Yeah. Now. Um, and I hope this is not a dumb question, but like in a case like hers, you know, if she needed, you guys needed to pause and you need to get her medical attention, maybe it could be a couple week process to get her back, you know, up and running into a point where you can, you know, possibly perform another exorcism. Is that something that would be in the plan? Sure. sure. Okay. But, but first you have to get the body to a point where it can fight. And yeah. she was at such a weakened state that she was no longer able to fight. Yeah. And uh, she was, I mean, she was compromised to, to, to an extreme level and they should have never allowed that. Never. That, that was a, a total mistake. That was, um, and for my listeners, the exorcism, the exorcism of Emily Rose was an absolutely chilling movie. If you have not seen it, I do highly recommend looking up the actual facts of the case and educating yourself on it. Um, and then if you want to watch the movie, um, but it, it was definitely profound because I just remember, you know, as a mother, um, you know, you watch it and. I, I can't imagine, you know, the helplessness, you know, you think when your child's sick, it's a terrible feeling, but then to literally have no control, there's no medicine, there's no, there's nothing that you can physically do except for all the right steps of finding somebody like yourself and, and praying that the, you know, an exorcism works, but unfortunately in her case, it was done improperly. So, yeah. you know, it's a sad case. Um, my other question that I kind of was curious about is when you look at exorcisms, have you ever seen multiple demonic entities um, possessing one person? Sure. Like um, I think the term is uh, like, le they'll like say something like I am legion or mm -hmm. I am many, something to that extent. Sure. Uh, yeah. And many times during an exorcism, the, the demonic will always say they're, 
a particular demonic entity to, to try to intimidate you because there's levels of demonic entities. There's fear. Some people call spheres, tiers, levels. They're all the same as far as terminology. Uh, but that's just to try to intimidate. And many times, if there's multiple, they will say, I'm, I'm Satan. I, I'm more I, another demonic that's, that's a high ranking, you know, seraphim or cherubim or throne. Uh, the, just to, to to try to intimidate you, uh, but you just continue the right. You you don't allow that to you don't allow that that to happen. That to to um, to cause emotional distress. You just or spiritual distress. You just keep going. And that's why you always say to you know cut that conversation. So that's smart. Um, yeah. So exist. what um, if you don't mind maybe telling us about a couple of cases that you have had that you think are more notable that were very um that had some very um i don't even know the right word for this just interesting and crazy events that maybe unfolded um well i mean certainly I know, the, I'm sure. the first <laughs> i mean the first case that was on the show i mean that was just um that was insanity uh, that was insanity and not only that I mean, that was because that was my first exorcism, but only that, it's also about a haunted item. And that was a, that was a, another uh, on the episode of the of the uh, the show that Eli Roth presents Legion of Exorcists. So I've always heard about haunted items, uh, but I've always been very skeptical of them. You know what okay. I mean? I, I, I believe that there's demonic attachment to those things. But I think uh, it's like, OK, you know, I, I, I've been in the panel for so long. It's like, OK, all right. Um but anyway, family had contacted me in, and this was on the show. A family contacted me. They live in like a McMansion. It's in Tennessee. It's a big, beautiful home. And uh, they said, look, you need to get here. I'm like, okay, sure. I, I didn't know what was going on there. They told me the house burnt down. I'm thinking, and I'm thinking to myself, well, why are you calling me? Call a firefighter. I mean, I, don't, I can't tell you what, why your house burnt down. So just get here. So I did. And uh, so the house, when I showed up, this was a big, huge home, and it was completely obliterated. There was nothing left. I mean, literally nothing. It was all ashes. And, wow. But it was very strange is that I saw a, an ornate metal bookshelf um, on, the, on the right over here and a doll. And I thought to myself, why in the world would someone have a doll? That, that, that doesn't make sense. So she said, I want to show you what the house looked like so she so she walked me and she walked in the professional the big foyer uh the big it's a big beautiful entrance and then to the right was their formal living room and i saw she so she was trying to explain to me in this ash what it was and she's i saw this doll and i thought what in the world she said i want to show you this and so okay so i went over there and um she said go ahead and pick it up i thought okay i don't know why you have a doll on this but i picked it and it was very hot to the touch it was like a that surprised me. I was not expecting it to have that type of heat. Then I dropped it. And she said, well, I, she collected really strange items. She said, I just collected that. We had a lot of activity in this home. And now this entire house burnt down and nothing was left in this house. Nothing except for that doll. Wow. And that doll is porcelain and the fabric, it has burnt marks on it, but the porcelain, the, the porcelain doll did not burn. Uh, the fabric did not burn. You can still smell the smoke today on, wow. on the fabric. And she said, I, I want it gone. It's got, please take it away. Take, so I did. So I went to Louisville Mid-South Paranormal Conference in Louisville, Kentucky, a room full of people. And I was telling people about this and I had it in case. I blessed it. And they, they were like, oh, please take it out. We want to see it. We want to experience it. And I told them it's a bad idea. And oh, please, please. Normally I don't. They're like, okay, fine. And a room full of people. So I put it out of his case. I said, here it is. And everybody was like, no, don't touch it. We don't want it. We don't want nothing to do with it. We don't want it. 
So I was going to put it back in its case. And as I turned around to put it back in its case, someone asked me a question and I got distracted and I put it next to a laptop. Now this laptop I've been saving for months on because my old laptop was old. And I was like, I was really excited because I, so I put it next to the laptop. I turned around to address the question and a firefighter in the front row screamed, Bishop Long, turn around. I turned around and the laptop was on fire. Oh my gosh. Now this was witnessed by an entire room full of people. I can't explain this, but I do know what I saw. And so did a whole entire room of people. So in the paranormal conference. Uh, so I, I have now, I have a massive collection of haunted items that in a storage facility where people bring it to their homes and then they have terrible activity. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. And for it yep. to happen, like you said, in front of all those people. Yep. Um, but it just like also makes me think, you know, what are your opinions on, um, you know, have you ever come across or seen like Annabelle in person or Robert the doll? Robert the doll um, I have. Yep. And and kind of what did you think about that? Um, Robert the doll was uncomfortable. I didn't like Robert the doll. I, I just I felt very uncomfortable with it. However, uh, I have not seen Annabelle, but I've talked to uh, Lorraine several times about it. Lorraine hated that doll. She yeah. didn't want to be around it at all. She didn't want to even, she just didn't want anything to do with that doll. Uh, yeah. So I, I never saw Annabelle, never seen that, but I have seen Robert the doll. Robert the doll is creep. There's something not right with Robert the doll. It just, it, when you're there and you see it, something's not right. Wow. Yeah. See, I just, um, I've always been intrigued with haunted objects, like just because there's so many um, different cases. And especially because I very much looked up to Lorraine Warren. She was a big mm -hmm. idol in my life. Um, and she had this haunted museum where she had mm -hmm. like, um, Oh Lord, I'm going to blank, but she had some of those, um, it's like a, like a black looking kind of like hoodoo, um, yeah. figurine with the feathers do you know what i'm talking about yep. mm -hmm. I, I couldn't think of uh what what the title of it was um and then she had you know just some very like minuscule kind of trinkets and and the fascination amongst haunted objects and people you know wanting to touch annabelle um there are moments where i kind of I'm a little nervous as to, um, so when like Ed and when Ed had obviously passed like years before Lorraine, but when Lorraine passed, you know, I had this thought of, I really hope that these items don't end up in the wrong hands because I do yeah. think that when you watch, uh, some certain shows on haunted objects and things like that, they're being misused and abused. And I think that that doesn't help with the whole um, having two cleanup messes and dabbling and people taking things home with them. Um, so what is your, I guess, idea on if you are somebody who wants to go to these like paracons and haunted, mm -hmm. you know, object shows and things like that, how do you protect yourself from not, you know, bringing no. things home? Yeah, you know, I've been to so many paranormal conferences through the years, so many of them. And um, there have been some paranormal conferences I felt just very yucky. You know, after it's like I just felt like I just had this junk, this gunk on me. So I always pray uh, to release any type of attachment. I St. Michael the prayer, you know, there's a St. Michael for, shorter form and the, uh, the longer form. I always pray the shorter form. And you can Google that. 
Uh, but it's not very long. It's like St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the malice and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray and do thou, Prince of the Holy Heavens, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander the earth seeking the ruin of souls. So you, you keep saying it, you keep saying it, and you have it memorized. It's quite easy, but that's a shorter form. Okay. Um, I, I also pray that I, I'm a Benedictine. So I, okay. I'm very, my Benedictine spirituality is very important to me as well. Of course, the Our Father, but I, I refuse to allow any type of attachment to me. It's just okay. not an option. Because I don't give that invitation. Absolutely. And so, but I, I, I have no issues with the, with the paranormal conferences can be very good because I, I, yeah, there's a lot of great speakers there, but uh, you also have to understand that there's a lot of people who dabble in some crazy stuff and who think that everything is okay. It doesn't matter that you do black magic. It doesn't matter if some people think that you do this curses on people or things. Yeah, it does matter. So just, just make sure you stay grounded. Okay. Okay. Um, now, as far as being at some of these paranormal conferences, you know, um, I always kind of like to have whoever my speaker is on my episode, you know, give some advice to listeners on, um, I know you just kind of told them how to protect themselves, but maybe just like your best piece of advice, your best Thing that you can really leave them with to stay out of these things or a, a, I don't know, a fun fact or a truth that mm. they need to know and kind of really like heed, heed a warning or whatever you think is, yep. you know, going to make a difference. So the people always ask me, well, prove to me that demons exist. And this is what I tell them. I'm not here to prove to you that demons exist. I'm here to help the families who know they do. And, um, and I tell people this all the time. I, you know, when I have a conversation with them, I said, listen to me. And then when they start having doubts and demons and that it's not real and all this, other stuff, I said, okay, let's break this down for a second. Uh, I'm mentally stable. I'm not crazy. I don't like to spend my own money when it's so wasteful. I'm, I'm very careful with the money that I spend. Uh, I've taken a vow of poverty. So I live a simple life. Now I have a doctorate in ministry. I have a master of divinity, a master of education, a master of business, and a bachelor of communication and journalism, and an associate of philosophy. I pay for this ministry out of my own pocket. If I didn't know, not think, but if I didn't know that possession exists, I'd be doing something else with my time. Absolutely. Because I'm sure I, not only would I not invest my personal private time, but I certainly wouldn't invest my money into something that doesn't exist because I gain nothing from this. I, I'm not, there's no ulterior motive. Some people say you do that for fame and fortune. I don't charge. I pay for it out of my own pocket. So, and fame, the, the, you do fame so you can make money. I don't care about money. I don't charge mm -hmm. money. I pay for it. So there's no ulterior motive for me doing this ministry other than to help people. So that's why I am passionate about this because I can't deny what I've seen. And again, if I had one just a, an ounce of doubt, I would do something else. I, I, I swear I would not be doing this. I'd do something else with my time. So, um, I mean, everybody, you have heard it here. I mean, demons are very much real. Um, you know, my own advice, um, especially after talking to you is really just, um, one, don't dabble, don't <laughs> just dabble. don't dabble. I think that that seems to be a very common theme. You know, YouTube is all the rage don't do it for an audience. Don't, you know, make silly decisions. Yes. So, um, kind of, um, I may have just a couple more questions before we end, uh, the podcast, but, um, have you ever been to, um, 
one of the more notable uh, haunted locations, sure. like such as like Amityville or um, I just recently covered like the Velisca Axe Murder House or things like that because I'm always curious and I posed this question um, to two demonologists that I had on my show that were at these locations. Um, when you go into a place like that, how do you like differ or like I guess um, differentiate between what is kind of a residual haunting and what is a demonic entity? Well, uh, I'm good friends with Andrea Perrin. Uh, Andrea Perrin actually grew up in the Conjuring House. Uh, yeah. And uh, so I, I, she's a God, she's a sweetheart. I've talked to her many times, many times about her experience. I've been to Waverly Hills in Louisville, Kentucky. Good grief. I've been there so many times. Waverly Hills is one of the most haunted locations in the world. Uh, and it's true. If you've never been to Louisville, Kentucky at Waverly Hills, uh, it is intense. It is in, it is a massive, un, just when you go up that hill and you see it, it's huge. Uh, is that the and, location with the body shoot? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. As a matter of okay. fact, I was I was on the doc I was on a documentary on that with the Booth wow. Brothers, uh, several documentaries. Um, and, and so at Bobby Mackey's when I did Ghost Adventures uh, for the Bobby Mackey's episodes, I went there. Uh, and uh, so yeah, a lot, these locations uh, can be quite active and very, very dangerous. Okay. And so I, I tell people, just look, if you go searching for a demonic entity, don't be surprised if you find one. And then you, if you do, what are you going to do then? So just don't do it. Don't put yourself in a situation where you could uh, have an attachment. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bobby Mackey's was at Ghost Adventures was unbelievably violent. As a matter of okay. it, was, it was so violent when I did the show at Ghost Adventures, they had to stop at 4 a.m. because they continue it all the way until like six or seven in the morning. They had to stop. Wow. So like four o'clock. I think it was like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. They cut it. They said, that's okay. it. We're done. We're done. It, it, this is too much because of the activity was so aggressive. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I've been to many of these locations and some of them are very, very dangerous. As a matter of fact, uh, my team went to uh, in Kansas. Uh, they went to a particular location and uh, one of my team members had a cross, a gold cross, and it actually embedded into his skin, a third degree burn. So it actually embedded into into the skin. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and so, yeah, you have to be careful with these places. I never like I mean, because you see um, you see so many of these paranormal shows and a lot of the times um, a lot of the findings, I mean, are you know, minuscule and they're profound. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but you don't get to see the uglier side of those investigations or the true dangers that come along with opening yourself up to that. Mm. Um, so I just was very curious, you know, if you had been to those locations and, you know, how you find that difference and, um, with Andrea Perrin, um, it's funny because I actually was trying to get her on the podcast because I I would love to get a firsthand account of somebody who has yeah. grown up in a house like that. Um, and, you know, obviously the conjuring, I don't, I wasn't there, so I don't know how much Hollywood has exaggerated it and what's true and what's not. Um, and I did start to dive into her book, uh, House of Darkness, I think is. Or, House uh, of Darkness, House, House of, of Darkness. That's, that's Andrew yeah. Perrin, Andrew Perrin's books, yeah. Yep. Um, and so I just thought it was, you know, to, to be in a situation like she was, I can't imagine the fear and just yeah. 
just utter, I don't, I just don't even have a word for it. Um, and so have you, um, have you been to the conjuring house? No, I've never been to the conjuring okay. house. Uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of my time is, uh, I I'm, as I mentioned earlier, my day starts at 4am and it usually yeah. goes until 1130, maybe midnight and start right back up at 4am the next day. So, wow. uh, because I, I'm a, I'm a chaplain uh, for uh, the hospital as well. So I, I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, so I, I don't have a whole lot of time uh, to investigate okay. any more as I would like to just for fun. Yeah. Uh, but, but I do tell people that, to stay away. I really encourage people to stay away from places that are known to be dark um, because you might just pick something up and then what are you going to do then? So just, just yeah. don't put yourself in that situation and you should be fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Thank you so much for being on today. Sure. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I have really enjoyed, you know, hearing your side of things and just really getting to know what you do. And, um, you know, maybe in the future we can have you on again, um, you know, to kind of speak about your new show um, and, and give people, hopefully get more people to, to kind of watch it and really just educate themselves on, you know, religion, exorcisms, you name mm -hmm. it. Um, if they don't get to listen to the podcast. So <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> but absolutely. I'm super grateful. I'm very grateful. So thank you so much for joining us today. And sure. uh, until next time, let's get weird. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Right, <laughs>